Hey, welcome to Mantalizing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. I'm Garth Haslam. In this episode, I'm interviewing somebody that I find to be really impressive. You know, most of the people that I find, I know very little about them. Kateri is one of those. I had met her once before I put her on, but she's such a bright light. For me, there's this very short list of people on the planet that I've met that I can see a light within them. Kateri is one of those people. She runs deep. She is a survivor of 15 years of abuse. She has chosen to grow, and she's an amazing human being, beautiful on the inside and out, and wise. Here's the interview. Should we do this? <laughs> Gotta wiggle it out. I'm keeping that in. <laughs> Where do you come from originally? Um, born in Illinois, raised in Oregon. So Mountain Girl was definitely invested in my blood and my youth, um, lived 15 years in Texas. So my early adulthood through mid thirties was a Texas. And then Utah was my chosen home. It was my like reclaim my sacred ground, get back to the mountains, return to myself. Reclaim so, your reclaim. sacred ground. Ooh, let's get into okay. the deeper stuff immediately. <laughs> why, why is this sacred ground? Um, it was a chance for me to return to my full self, right? I had lived in Texas, um, in a really dangerous and unsafe marriage for 15 years and had been enabling that myself. I was a full participant in that, unfortunately. And knew, I knew that in order to really change my lifestyle and, and stick with that change, I needed to change everything, right? Environment is a big thing. If we stay comfortable and what we're used to, we tend to repeat our patterns more easily. If you don't change anything, then nothing changes. Is exactly. that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> it's so simple, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to go for a big, big change. And it was also a safety call of just being as as removed as possible to get my kids and I safe um, and allow some healing to take place. Mm-hmm. I just remained curious. I didn't choose this as a permanent home. It was like this was my landing spot that we're going to see what happens and, and how we feel about life and what's going to take us. But... Very quickly, all of the components were here for me to realize this was a very safe and healthy place for me to return to my full self. You said very quickly. Let's go very slowly. <laughs> okay. What are those characteristics? What are what are the things that you needed here that weren't there? It was more about what I needed in myself, right? And so I tend to become a product of, I think we all do, a product of our environment. And there's parts of us that we let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be challenged. I like to... I like to release myself and I tend to be a workaholic and get into my creative brain and, and go places with that. But um, I need a way to release. And for me, nature, the mountains, the open air, the challenge of getting up there is definitely just kind of that dichotomy of pushing me out of myself and forcing me to do kind of hard things to get that release. Um, and so I was really drawn to having that. And in Texas, there wasn't much of an outlet or an escape. Um, in Texas, it's at least in, in my small world, my little pocket being on the coast, there was the ocean. Mm-hmm. It was, was a beautiful escape and I spent a lot of time out there. But by habit, 
one of the easiest things to turn to is is drinking or eating. And that's really like your main outlets because there's not a lot of activity that draws you out of yourself. And I just knew I, I'm designed with a corporal body that needs to move. And so draws you out of yourself. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Oftentimes we will fall into habits and patterns that we will do for enjoyment, but it's avoidance of our deeper parts and avoidance of the things that need to be tended to and healed. Um, whereas being a Utah girl now, um, when I get outdoors, it instantly starts digging in my stuff. I'm not just sitting back and avoiding. I have to actually meet the challenge of knowing that if I want to get to this majestic lake at the top of the mountain, I'm going to have to move through a series of challenges and my body's going to push through some limits. But more than that, my mind is going to be pushed through its limits. And there's this point of giving up. It's uh-huh. so much easier, right? It's like, I've done enough for the day. I don't really need to sit that lake. It's not worth it. But yet I know I'm going to regret it if I don't push through. Um, and so there's just this level of knowing that I'm more driven to complete and push myself beyond um, the weaknesses that mm-hmm. I have in my own character and push me to something. And the reward is so powerful. And just the way my soul meets when I see this majestic expanse in front of me, there's a reward there. And for me, that's been such a huge lesson um, for reclaiming my life. And when I say reclaiming, a lot of that has to do with my nervous system and the fact that living in an abusive relationship for 15 years, my body was trained to expect unpredictability, chaos, and fear. Unpredictability, chaos, and fear. You were expected. You expected that. It was constant, right? Even So even when we had good times, there was this certainty with it that it was not going to last and I wouldn't know what would cause the next snap. And so you're always in this hyped up state where you're just, you're anticipating rather than enjoying. So mm. for me, nature has been a place for me to meet some of the challenges of fear, right? And meet my nervous system in a different way and push myself beyond it, but also anticipate the enjoyment and return to joy and expecting that if I move through fear and allow my body to feel it, be present in it, but then push beyond it, I can experience it, but also move into the next experience of sustainable joy and celebration for what I conquered. Um, But so much of my healing process has been about retraining the messaging that moves throughout my body, but especially the messaging in my head. I really want to get into the the abuse, but... Um, before we go there, you just mm-hmm. said, I want to feel it. Now, us guys, yeah, this is, I, from my point of view, a difference between you women and us guys. You'll allow yourself to feel it. Mm-hmm. You'll move through it the way you just described. Us guys will feel it and we'll stuff it down. It'll mm-hmm. be inside. It'll stay inside. And we think we've got it controlled until we until it comes out like vomit. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in your ex-husband's case, we know what that vomit looks like. It was, it was abuse. Mm-hmm. He was probably abusing himself uh, yes. as, as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, in every possible way. And when he was abusing you, that was just him giving you a peek inside his world. Yes. That, to me, is you, you, you glossed over it fairly quickly, but allowing yourself to feel it is probably part of the healing process. It absolutely is because the, so 
as living in that cycle, I was enable it by glossing over it myself frequently, mm-hmm. right? Trying to do whatever I could to minimize myself enough to prevent it from occurring because I felt like I was the trigger for that. And it's such a deep and expensive subject. And part of me always wants to avoid it because the lessons I've learned weren't like people often ask me, like, we want to hear your story, right? Because they know there's a lot of pain in it. There's a lot of loss, a lot of heartache. And they're intrigued by that part of me. But that wasn't where, that's not where the power of my story is. I was never, I never had power as a victim, right? When you're a victim, you are really a self-deprecating label that allows you to just to sit in powerlessness powerlessness exactly and there was nothing to move or change or be in that i just was because of somebody else and that's not even being human right and so moving out and making myself uncomfortable on my own terms Mm -hmm. and challenging myself um really pushed me to a place of understanding that there was powerlessness in my victimology and it was useless to me. And what I needed to find was my true essence, my true femininity. And if I return to that, then we have something to work with and to grow in. There's no, there's no growth in victimology. You said, yeah, I love the whole thing about uh, the victimology. I think all of us, especially us guys, you know, if, even if we go to a sports event, the, mm-hmm. the team loses, yeah. well, the refs sucked. Uh, go bear. Always the refs. We know the, that. Yeah. <laughs> Bad calls. That guy couldn't hit his free throws. You know, don't ever pass to, yes. to this dude because it just bounces off his hands. Uh, you know, it's the coach. Yeah. Um, you know, they watered down the field. Or maybe just our team wasn't as good yeah. and we need to be better. But, you know, who wants to go down that road? <laughs> you There's do. no growth there, right? Right. <laughs> it's safe. It's really safe. I was interviewing a guy that I really respect, Aaron Shields. He uh, he is Mr. Everything. He's uh, he's a good looking dude. He, he, he's got, he's always had no problem with the women. He's an athlete. He's a crazy awesome musician. And he's always the, mo- the smartest person in the room, no matter what room he's in. He's that guy. Love it. We all hate him. <laughs> it sounds like you love him, but. <laughs> <laughs> and he talks in, in his uh, in his podcast about how he he was in Sweden with a pregnant wife and a couple of kids. And uh, he was visiting somebody who was his really good friend mm-hmm. when one day she says, you're out and I don't ever want to talk to you again. Wow. And. He could have, this is an extreme example, but it's an example. He could have said, well, it's because she's a woman. It's because she's from Sweden. It's because she's an Iranian. um, It's because X, Y, and Z. And he could have been in victim mode. Yeah. And he would have learned absolutely nothing from it. And that would have been easy to do. And we're all good at it. You know, it's it's much, I'm going to say easier with with air quotes, Mm -hmm. to blame somebody else doesn't get us too far. No, it doesn't. And starting to look at life differently as what are these hard things teaching me? And more importantly, what is happening within myself? And I think that was one of the things that for me became a really impactful factor. Um, Moving through 
divorce and then seeking, you know, my own healing, but also opening myself back up to love again, I'm bringing that mirror back in my life and went through a series of, of shorter relationships that what I began to realize was I was attracting the same type of a person and just in different skin. And the same type of person and different skin. Yeah. So the same type of personality that had, that wouldn't protect me from themselves, right? The type of man that was a loose cannon and refused to protect my own dignity and pulled me away from my feminine nature. And what, what does it mean to pull you away from your feminine so nature? I believe firmly as, as if we're going to embody femininity, which it's such a huge topic because the world has just completely distorted masculine and feminine and filled us with so many lies, but it's living in your radiance and being a vessel, this protected vessel that, that a strong masculine man can pour into and can also create an aura of protection. If we have this beautiful vase, right, that you want to put only the best flowers in and arrange perfectly, and you want to also keep it in a safe, it's protected spot of honor um, in your home and create this beautiful space for it. You obviously aren't going to want to turn around and smash it or put just dandelions in it, right? Like you mm -hmm. obviously want to fill it with the right type of thing that speaks to the beauty and radiance of that vessel. I think as a woman, if we allow ourselves to start becoming that, this, this radiant being that is passionate about life and passionate about relationships and cultivating joy around her, men are very attracted to that and becoming a safe place. Very much so. And I think the same kind of thing, one of the things that I think uh, the dudes who are listening to, mm -hmm. uh, to this might say, well, that's about her. That's about womanness. It's totally not true. Oh, uh -uh. Uh, this, The same applies to men. Um, and I have a very personal example of yeah. that. Uh, I was married previous. Mm -hmm. She, her thing for me was to, I found out later that her thing for me was she turned me into her dad. Those are her words. Yeah. And she hated her dad. Mm -hmm. So her, she was punishing her dad by punishing me. Yeah. So I was the nerd. I was incapable. I was blah, blah, blah. And I believed it. I mean, she was married to me. She was around me the most. She knew me the most. So why not believe her? Then here comes Julie. And she goes, I, you're a good man. I, mm -hmm. I see you. I like you. I... You know, there's a lot of great things about you. And I'm like, ooh, wow, which one do I believe? Yeah. And guess who I chose? I happen to know. <laughs> you happen to know. And, uh, you know, there's this song by Boston called A Man I'll Never Be, mm -hmm. where for me it's a, it's a very deep, sad song because it's like, I think you're awesome, but you see a man that I could not possibly be, and I never will be that man, and I'd like to be that man, but I'm not, so I'm breaking up with you. And I, I didn't go that direction with Julie. Yeah. And um, she turned me into that man that she saw. Or perhaps she allowed it out. I don't know which one. But there's a beautiful um, concept when it comes to femininity and masculinity in that order that a strong, radiant, feminine woman is a kingmaker. Because she is allowing the goodness of that man to come out, the hero side, the courageous side, the side that is a creative force in the world and that takes all of his power and transmits it in the right way. And she has is that vessel that he can 
learn through and, and pour into and find that safe space for his depth, right? Because as you described already, men have a harder time bringing their depth out. It doesn't mean you guys don't have it. In fact, I actually think that the challenge women are missing out on is that men actually have extraordinary depth. They don't have a safe place to put it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is extremely true. Yeah. Uh, and we talk about that. And, uh, you know, as I describe what manalizing is, you know, I'll talk about how women, if they got a problem, they got 30 girlfriends to go talk to. Yeah. If a man's got a problem and he can't go to his wife for any one of a thousand reasons, he can't go to another woman. That would be a problem. Definitely. And he's not going to go to a guy. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, you, you wonder if you're going to lose the friendship. You wonder if he's going to think that maybe you're less than a man. He's not going to be able to handle it himself, blah, blah, blah. And so we keep it in and then the suicide rate goes up. The divorce yeah. rate goes up. The alcoholism mm-hmm. goes up. The abuse rate goes up. Other than that, there's not a problem. Uh, so, you know, just the little things <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and the relationship suffers greatly. Tremendously. Yeah. And <laughs> I had, uh, I've had some fun with Julie, honestly. Um, she saw a man, she allowed it, she created it, she fostered it, she cheerleaded it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm good at creating new words, but they work for me. <laughs> it's work. I follow you. <laughs> I've cheerleaded before. <laughs> You'll hear at least a couple of those in every episode. Of course. Um, and and then because she's the woman that she is, she she joins DoTerra mm-hmm. and creates a very nice income. And she blows me out of the water most months. <laughs> I've caught up lately. Uh, it doesn't affect my perception of my man card because I'm okay in who I am. Good. Yeah, that's beautiful. It shouldn't. And I think she created that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving her the credit because the, the former Garth wasn't there. Yeah. Now I'm asking you, how does a relationship get to that point? It starts with self-awareness. Uh-huh. And I, I see that very clearly in my own self. And I had to recognize that what I was living in, the patterns that was that were making me a danger to myself, was I was living in these notions I had gathered from society, from my own childhood, from the relationships that had failed all around me. And and I was being messaged all the time that men are inherently bad, narcissistic, selfish, um, shallow, right? They they just want your body. They're not in it for anything else. There's all these negative kinds of concepts. And then I have my own experience that would tell me um, he's going to make me unsafe. He's going to be distrustful. Um, He's not going to be able to hear me or connect with me on the depth that I'm seeking. And these are the things that crowd up women's minds. And mm. unfortunately, they, most of them, especially in, when you're discovering someone new, they get in the way of the discovery. And so I entered into the dating world for what I was hoping was a final chapter, right? And, and still hope it's a final chapter and seeking to come with a curiosity and come with a more restored and protected femininity and to try to quiet that negativity in my mind and learn to expect a relationship to be grown and proven through action. I, I told my son once, and mm-hmm. I've said it a couple of times, and I probably need to say it again. I, I told him, be the man that the woman you want to marry wants to marry. Yeah, 100%. Sounds like you have done that on your side. And now you, I don't know 
you know, how far you've gone, if you've gone from on a scale of 10, from seven to nine or nine to 15. Um, but you're prepared now for a different group of guys. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think, I think that's fabulous. And, you know, I, I get from my point of view, second marriage, I knew what I wanted. I wanted somebody who would love me. And I think I found her. Oh, you did a good job. Who who are you looking who are you looking for? Well, I I know what I set to look for and, and I'm hoping that I have found it. Uh-huh. Um but what I set out to look for was someone that was truly stronger than me. Um and that after going through a series of traumas in life and and being the one that always had to rise and support everybody around me, right? That was a role that I filled and um that role kind of got in my way because it meant that I was so busy filling everyone's gaps that I wasn't being true to myself. I was a lot more of a people pleaser and I was not allowing men to rise for me in, in my honor. And I began to realize that with my patterns, the minute I stepped back and stopped trying to be the fixer all the time and the pleaser uh-huh. and move back into things that I'm passionate about, I naturally become attractive. And I naturally become someone that men want to protect. They want to guard. And I began first, before I began dating, I actually tested it just in men in general, like just in platonic relationships, people that meet at the grocery store, just any encounter with men. Um, I began to stop myself. And actually, I have to credit a high school friend um, way back when I was in youth ministry. He stopped me hard in my tracks one day. Um, and he was not the type of guy that I expected it from, but it was a lesson that stayed with me for life. And we were going into a restaurant together, but a bunch of group of friends and I, and I was leading the pack as I typically do, just walking faster and further than everybody else and got to the door, opened it, walked through, and he stopped me right there, pulled me back out. And he said, I want you to never do that again. I was like, what, what are you talking about? He said, it is never your role to open the door when a man is present. Oh. And that was just like a zing, right? It, like it kind of hit me because it was something to me that was so light and so minimal and I was careless in it. But he he stopped me right there. And at age 16, he stopped me and he said, it is our job to protect and serve every woman we encounter, whether we are in a relationship with them or not. And so he said, you've got to hold that space. And so I, have to his credit, I have every time since then in life done my best to stand aside for a second and give a man an opportunity. To let the man be a man. Let that man. And if if it's perfect strangers. And you know what? Each time, if it's a a gas station randomly or grocery store, there's, they get a little glow for a second. Like there's, I see it in that exchange that they feel good about having Trump to serve. And I, as women in society, we, we lose so much. And I think we focus so much on relationships in general between men and women. Uh Uh-huh. They're individual one-on-one. We don't look at the overall relationship that we carry with each other just in the world together and that we can cultivate and practice these skills of being feminine and being masculine and being the hero and being the the damsel who deserves that protection. We can cultivate those. I love that concept of let the man be the man for you. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? For me, um, it always is about creating when you're protected, right? When you're protected and safe, you can be your best self. You can be the most free. And so I think there's a level of um, natural protection men have been instilled with, and it's in all areas. And I will see like with a group of people out going on a hike, the men will take the cliff side of the trail. 
Uh-huh. And I and I let them. I think that's such a beautiful thing. On my first date with my current boyfriend, he did the same thing. It was such a beautiful gift to me that he just knew that was his role to take on the dangerous side, right? And that's little things, but they add up. That's um, no, I'm be- being vulnerable, but uh, it's funny because Julie has a love language for me because she thinks I'm five, and I kind of am uh, when we're when we're walking. She wants me not against the road because she doesn't trust me to go not walk into a car. Okay, but that's such a that's such a negative feminine trait. It's like we're gonna it we're is. gonna fix and heal. That's not yeah, our I've, job. I've gotta I've gotta say no. I will take the road. She's little. Side. You can Thank just pick you. her up and move her. That's right. <laughs> just this is your place. This is my role. Let me be your hero. <laughs> One of Julie's uh, friends from a billion years ago. I told her, and that this was a stupid move on my part. It was. It proved that I was a man. I told her, "You are the strongest and weakest woman that I know." Guess how she that? took that? <laughs> what did you mean by that? <laughs> um, she went through a. Uh, she had a husband who had cancer, and mm-hmm. he died. Mm-hmm. And she posted. Uh, she basically said, I need a man. Mm-hmm. And that's what she needed, a man. Mm-hmm. And she married a man yeah. who she had to divorce later because oh, there was a lot of abuse. Yeah, But he was a man. Mm-hmm. And that dude, he was he was a quality character. He thought, he thought that he could control a woman, but he knew that he couldn't control me. Yeah. And he found out that he couldn't control Julie very, very well. But... Um, he wanted to meet all of her friends, mm-hmm. which included us at the time. So he took uh, Julie and this lady, we'll call her, uh, not her real name, let's go for Joanne. Yeah. And a couple of more friends mm-hmm. to a campfire where he tried to sell himself on on these girls. Oh, yeah. And uh, words guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was prepared to go up and ask him. You know, Tiffany is a, oops. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> Joanna. <laughs> Joanna is a very strong woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're going to be taking on quite a, quite a I don't want to say project, quite a role because mm-hmm. it's going to take an, an excellent man to make her more than she already is. Yes. And my question for him would have been, how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. And he probably knew I was going to ask a question like that. So uh, I wasn't invited. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> Got to keep yourself safe there, dude. <laughs> and, you know, it was funny. There was some symbolism there. He, yeah. he was a fireman. He thought he was awesome. Mm-hmm. And so he put himself on a fire truck, made her climb up to him in heels so that he could propose to her. I love how, like, you identify all the things that, like hurt your soul in that process. It's so good. <laughs> What happened to the fireman carry? Come on, where's that? <laughs> yeah, what about the carry? What about him put her on the top yes. of the ladder? You know what? Uh, but no, she was reaching him, and uh, and then she had to work very hard, and she actually he actually took some of her life insurance money wow. from the previous marriage. Yeah. Uh, so ugly. It was yeah. it was bad. Yeah. But you know, I think. A man, a real one, somebody who knows what he is, mm-hmm. is going to be about this. Is my wife, I'm proud of her. She's awesome. I'm going to make, I'm going to allow her and assist her to be the most she can be, mm-hmm. so that I can be that much more proud of her, and that's going to make me feel good about me because, hey, she married me. Yes, I'm describing myself, by the way. Well, 
I kind of picked up on that. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I've noticed in myself that I've had to train myself to do is just that man you described, the man with the display. Mm -hmm. He is a salesman himself, right? He is putting himself out there and making sure that everyone in the room is watching him and listening to him. There's not a single action in that. It's just all air. And that was the type of man that I kept falling for. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was dangerous because I am, it's the shiny object guy, but there's nothing behind it. There's no, there's no depth and there's no protection and there's no cultivation, a, a strong relationship. You're both becoming more of who you were meant to be. And you're, you're both alive and thriving in your you-ness through the union of your togetherness. And that I think is a really powerful example. And so when I set out to, to date again, I knew that I wanted someone stronger than me. And I also wanted someone who was so safe and would free me so much that our relationship would cultivate something that we created together for the world. Like that, I knew I wanted ministry or to create something that's an output more than just children. I wanted to have a create like a procreative relationship that was going to give something to the world and be a beacon. And that would take a very certain type of man. So I knew it narrowed my options a lot so that I would avoid the shiny objects and the guys with the display uh-huh. and move towards action. That was really hard on me at first because, again, I had these voices in my head, all this negativity and really contempt for, for the masculine, just knowing that it's failed me so much. Um, and trying to move myself to ex- to quiet myself and wait and wait for action from men. Mm-hmm. Um, and in today's world, it's so challenging because we have things like Bumble and Match and all these online, like dating is hard in the real world to begin with, but finding a person is extra hard because it's, it's all women climbing fire trucks. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I think, wouldn't it, shouldn't it be so easy for a dude to, to reverse that role and make the woman feel like he's climbing to you? Yes. And then all of a sudden you've separated yourself from the herd. Yes. Well, and that's the thing. If women, women have to stop themselves though, because women are so quick to fill the gap and looking for a man, they will fall all over themselves in that process to be the equally shiny object and be available and immediately text back and respond back and they'll start planning dates themselves. And it takes men immediately out of the masculine. Like it, it takes all the drive and pursuit. And we, as women need to recognize that men are turned on and thrive in pursuit. Like they love to be creators and pursuers. They're the hunters. If we're just sitting outside of the road as roadkill (laughs) in a fancy dress, like they don't have to go far to get us and they get worn out. That's, I think, what we as women have to stop ourselves from being the action drivers in relationships and pull back. That pulls men actually towards us and they seek to start filling that gap. And actually throughout my relationship and dating, um, each time I need, I see us getting off course, the main fix is for me to pull back and reclaim some of my sacred ground, focus on the things that I'm passionate about in life. And it draws him towards me in pursuit. When I'm doing all the effort and doing all the reaching out and all the connection, all the planning of time together, he's lost that, that drive and motivation. And I think there's a strong polarity we have to reach for sure. You said reclaim my life. You said, uh, you used the word feel it. You've used the word protect a thousand times already. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, based on that, I'm guessing 
you didn't feel protected. As a matter of fact, you needed protection from. Yeah. And then that that's a really hard place to be in in a relationship because um it's one thing to fight for your life against an attacker. Mm-hmm. You could kill that person to save yourself, right? Right. When it's someone you love, you're really defenseless because you don't actually want to hurt them the way they're hurting you. You don't want to do anything to stop them that's going to hurt them. And so you just are in this kind of it's this it's this terrible dichotomy of allowing things or not doing not going enough far enough to protect myself, right? Because there's so many consequences. If I step forward, even I seek the law, there's consequences with that. You can't undo that once that ball starts rolling. And there's a ton of pressure when you're in that situation of being an abuse victim and you're hold that victimology, you feel very helpless. And you feel like, you know, the the minimum requirement that you would want from a man is to protect him from your his self. Minimum. Minimum. Right. Yeah. And and the polarity of that now that I'm living in, which is such a a gift to me. And at first I kind of fought it because it was so foreign. But the man I have now, he's has so much strength and protection that comes naturally innately in him. He'll naturally withdraw from me if he feels that we're in a in a place in a relationship where we're in a, in a moment, in an argument, in a frustrated time where words are coming out. He will withdraw as a way to protect me. And at first I would stop and I would just be like, why are you avoiding this situation? Now, why are you, why aren't you in this with me? I want to finish it right now and figure it out and get to the bottom of it. And he, it took him a few times to tell me, I am protecting you from myself because I know if I go further, I'm going to say things and do things that are going to hurt you. And I never want to do that. 1000 man points for him. Yes. It's and it took, but you know what? As a woman, it took me some time. That was the thing I've always wanted, right? I'm, I've said protection a thousand times today already. Uh-huh. The thing I've always wanted, I also resented at first because I was still in my my Not wounded. Not what you feminine. were used to. Yeah, um, and so it's taken it's taken a shift in grace for myself to get patient with him in that and to feel that as a powerful form of love. Recognize that it's a love language. Let's go back to um, <clears throat> ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, describe, I know it's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do it, then fine. Describe one of those moments when he's coming home and you know you're about to get beat. Uh, give, give me give me that moment in detail. It would, be, it would be nice to know if I could see it coming, I think is the, the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about someone who... With all of this, it was self-loathing, right? It was his own self-loathing that he was experiencing. Any time where he was feeling unfulfilled and frustrated um, or challenged in any way, um, I would be there on the receiving end of all of the inner angst and frustration and fear that he had. And so it was very unpredictable. And it could be just the littlest, I mean, the smallest interaction that had no bearing or no weight or no no value. And suddenly I was being turned into a punching bag or dragged across the floor of our house or doors kicked down if I was trying to seek safety. And there was just, there was never safety, right? Dragged across the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Describe one of those moments where he's coming at you. What happened? You know, it's, it's always this, it's about fight or flight and you have to use both at the same time. Uh Um, And 
it's like I described, it's a, it's a mixed type of a fight because you have to fight hard enough to create space um, and find safety, but not so hard that you'll hurt them permanently. And it's a, it's a very dangerous place to be because all the things that you would normally do to an attacker, it's your husband. That's the father of my children. And more than that, the other trap that women find themselves in the situation is we're trying to live in this facade and even in our own homes. And so I would try to mask it and hide it from my own children and try to like draw him away to the far part of the house where the kids wouldn't be around. And were you able to successfully hide it from your children? No, no. <laughs> shockingly, <laughs> no, you can't hide that kind of behavior. And in fact, he would actually draw it out. He, he actually, he needed witnesses. He actually took pride in having witnesses. And that's what actually pulled me forward out of the marriage was seeing he, him draw them in. He knew he, he was having whatever issue at work. He felt unmanly. So to prove he was a man, he had to, he had to abuse you and, yeah. and make sure there was witnesses for him. That somehow in his twisted mind meant that he was still a man. Yeah. And there's wounds there for sure. That brought all that. There's wounds. Hey, there's let's talk wounds. about the wounds. wounds. Uh, blood, black eyes, broken bones. Uh, I He was smart, uh-huh. um, unfortunately. And nothing was ever visible to the outside world. So it was always arms, legs, torso. All the stuff that you can easily hide. Um, and... That would be frustrating for me because there is a, there was a strange thing. I had this relationship with bruises that was so strange because in a way, as long as I had them, they were a reminder mm-hmm. that this is not healthy. Um, and I would be mad at my body for the times where I was in severe pain. I had nerve damage in my legs for quite a while and there weren't bruises to back me up. The, just, the pain was there. There was nobody that could see it. There was nobody that could find it. And I actually began documenting. I was a photographer. Uh-huh. I began taking pictures of my bruises just for myself. And I didn't even have a plan for it. I didn't have a goal for it. I just needed to remind myself of this reality. Um, and I hid them away on a super secure file, I thought. On you thought? Computer. <laughs> um, Sounds like that came out. Right. Yeah. And it, it came out. One of my best friends who was working with me at the time, she discovered them and and took me aside and said, I've always wondered, and I've had, there's been enough signs, but this is confirming it. And the fact that you were taking pictures of this means that you're aware. The nerve damage in your leg? What has to happen for you to have nerve damage in your leg? I mean, the bruises I would have there, it was, it was consistent and, and constant. I would have knuckle marks in my thighs just from deep punches into my legs. And... um if you can imagine, like, these are your biggest muscles in your body that support uh-huh. everything. So every sit, every move that you're making out of the car, using the bathroom, everything hurts deeply. Um, and because it was so consistent and constant, I had, like, chronic pain in my legs. And it caused all kinds of issues because in this season I was in, this was a, a never-ending cycle. Not a single event. It was a never-ending it was, cycle. It was constant. Mm-hmm. Men, of course, we do this to ourselves and to our spouses and to our kids because we suck at resolving our issues. Uh, and what I tell everybody is that women have 30 girlfriends. 
you had 30 girlfriends. Oh, but... I 100% had 30 girlfriends at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I had more now, I had more then because I needed that many, uh-huh. right? But uh, I'm guessing that you didn't go to them with the full truth. No, I would I would let it out in little ways. And here's the the sad reality is because I'm a woman and innately designed for this and God made me for for being protected, I wanted a rescue, right? I wanted that external rescue, someone to read my mind enough or see just enough of a sign to pull me out because that actually would help me um, be forced to face things. Um, When you're in that state and there's the, I will say this, like the bruises were great accountability partners, but they were nothing the the wounds of the bruises were nothing compared to the emotional damage that was being done because behind those bruises behind every bruise are 10,000 words being slung at me and just constantly degraded i was called every single name in the book and highly abusive degrading language was used on me constantly and it's amazing what that does to every cell in your being um and i was living two lives so in home it was a very dark and and depressing and dreary life. And then I would like my, my words I would use was I would let my soul come out to play with certain friends and in certain groups. And that's where I could like unlock myself and be free. And then this is the irony. I would go back and lock myself back in my own cage of mm-hmm. my home life. Right. Because that's a choice. I could I really could come and go freely whenever I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a beautiful career that was thriving outside of my home, which probably kept me alive. Honestly, I was a photographer, a wedding photographer of all mm-hmm. things. and got to see people in love and, and pursuing each other in healthy ways as a career path for 10 years of that. And that actually kind of kept me anchored into a place of reality and seeing healthy relationships. And it actually helped kind of draw me more and more out and aware that what I was living in wasn't true and wasn't healthy. You said, let my soul come out to play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome because that's something that guys can learn from. We we don't let our souls come yeah. out to play ever. I uh. disagree. You can. <laughs> You should more. We, we and you're right. We can and we should, but uh, generally we don't unless we create a set of conditions. Like yeah. with when I'm alone with Julie, my soul's out to play. Mm-hmm. You know, I know she's going to take care of me. She's going to be good to me if I need. That all sounds hard. And you had girlfriends to tell bits and pieces too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the thought of. I really need to get a divorce has to have gone through your mind once or twice. Yeah, it went through my mind frequently. Um, Uh And actually, I did try to leave one time very early in our marriage in our third year. Uh um, And it was when my friend found the photos and she helped me stay really accountable. And we got to a safe house. The police were involved. Everything was documented. Um, I worked really hard for weeks to stay safe and stay free and had two babies at the time. They were 16 months apart. And was I was drowning in my own sense of helplessness. That's what really was hard on me was I had no resources, no car, no money, no job, no way to provide a way forward. So my I was very limited mentally trying to figure out what would this look like without my husband. And as as horrible as he is to me, how can I possibly live in this world with these children without him? Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately... Uh, my family at the time was in a, a position of being very religious minded and just that marriage is for life, the end till death. Mm-hmm. 
the end. There is no way out. If you're if your marriage is struggling, you fix it. You find a way to fix it. And they told me, well, it's probably something you're doing that's causing this. You need to find it in yourself to fix it. Right. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a wound created. It was it was that for me became actually a point of resilience um, where I my the, the weak part of myself accepted that and said, OK, fine, I'll go back because there is no way I, th- there was no physical way out for me at that point that I could see. And I think that's a hard thing for people on the outside looking at abuse victims. Um, they don't realize how much negativity has been poured into them so that their sense of self is so weak to begin with. And when they have their own weakness paired with the lack of resources, it really does look like an impossibility. And there's actually more safety in battling the war you know at home than in the unknown freedom that lies outside your door. The devil you know. Yeah. I I had a similar experience myself. After, I don't know, a few months or maybe a year of being married, I realized this is not what I thought I signed up for. Uh, and so that was moment number one. And then, uh, you know, fast forward a number of months and I was like, you know, I can see that nothing about this is right. And I started even making a list of possessions to split. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a friend basically tell me what your family did. He says, here, you're overblowing this. Give her this flower. And I was desperate for any answer of how it, this is me. Yeah. And if I could get an answer, it was me. Then there was hope and mm-hmm. I didn't have to move forward with the divorce thing. Yeah. So I gave her the flower and everything was fine for whatever period of time. And so I moved forward in the nightmare. Um, so I thought that, you know, that every marriage should be forever too. I think we all do. Yeah. But when it's, when it's not, what I learned in my life is I, I failed. You know, I failed to say, look, the following things are so wrong that I can't accept it. Mm -hmm. And, and if they can't change, you know, if these following conditions can't change, then I've got a decision to make. I didn't ever use those words. And I think a lot of guys are, and probably women are in the same boat. Did, did a moment, anything resembling anything like that ever happen with you? Oh yeah. Um, and I th- very similarly on my honeymoon. <laughs> like, wow, this is what our honeymoon's going to be. Okay, and it's over. <laughs> There's, there. I am not the prize, is what I discovered. Right, I am not the prize that that was sought after. It was, I was more like a feather in his cap, like an external, external image booster that he needed for life. And my integrity, my sense of self, my self worth. Nothing was was about me. There was no exchange. It was just a one-way ticket to him looking better. Um, and there was no depth there. And I think commonly, like what you identified as so common in, in relationships and what we end up in marriage is after a series of dating someone for so long and not making our needs known, mm-hmm. right? And that's the part about both of our roles is if we stay true to our roles and make our needs known. If I was focusing on his action, um, I would have left really early. Mm-hmm. But his words were so, and, and he was in the army. He was deployed 
most of our relationships. So it was easy to rely on words um, and be that person that was actually like always rescuing him and always pleasing him, meeting his needs because he was positioning himself for that. But it's a complete role reversal from what really God intended and what makes for a satisfying marriage and relationship. And so, yeah, I, I've learned in hindsight that those cues, even they come, I mean, how beautiful is God that he can give us a dream, right? And show us in our subconscious, hey, wake up. <laughs> this is also your reality. <laughs> I had that moment. I was like, God gave me every no. opportunity to avoid this. Yeah. And I still yeah. screwed it up. I mean, God has appeared in dreams to men all throughout history. It's biblically spoken over us. And so there's there's a there's wisdom in, in listening to that, I think, to a degree and just going internally and saying, what is, what's the lesson here? And typically the lesson, whenever things are, are not in harmony in a relationship is needs aren't being met. And so how can we as a couple speak our needs safely? And I think that's what in my current relationship has been the most beautiful gift is being able to find the courage, first of all, and then have it be met with the safety of my partner to say, hey, this is, and we have polar opposite love languages, right? And people say, well, that can't work. But actually, it's more profound to me when I see him reaching towards my love language and speaking to me in my language as an act of love. Like right. there's so much intention there because it's not his way, right? Um, and that means more to me than if it was just his natural sense of being. It'd be easy, but there's a deeper level of intention. Yeah, and what we're referring to obliquely is mm -hmm. the five love languages. Yes. Those love languages are part of that self-awareness I'm talking about, right? Like mm -hmm. coming to, I, I married really young. I married when I was 18. And so there was such a lack of self-knowledge and self-awareness. And, and I had no knowledge of my own patterns or any of the things that I was programmed for. And so I just was living kind of on autopilot. Really, I was a doormat. I was riding the coattails of my then husband and being all that he wanted to be in life and just molding into that. But there was no self. And I'm uh, speaking to the men. Wouldn't you rather have a woman who is powerful, who knows who she is, who is, you know, a woman who knows who she is, has her own light and is, and draws people. Wouldn't you rather have that person or would you rather have the, <clears throat> the mousy doormat? Oh, 100% the light. So, and women want to be the light. Right. Yeah. And if you want the mousy doormat, then you know what you're looking for. Otherwise, you know, you've got some work to do. Yeah. <laughs> you got some allowing. Yeah. There's some mutual growth that needs to happen for sure. Um, That was a thing that I had to grow to be was a light. And it was actually, it was fascinating for me to watch it when I talked about how I would engage with men just in, in the world and I would know I was in my light because there was a massive shift in the universe when that happened and men were attracted to me just by me being fully me. And I, I would know if I was in my zone of genius and pursuing things that were creating that passion, that light in me, men would come out of the woodwork, not in a pursuit way, but just, they were just more available, more present just by nature, um, just in my general daily interactions. I did get asked out on more dates, right? When I'm in my place, even if I'm not available, there's still a, there's a level of respect I have for men who in this modern world will stop in the middle of a store and engage with you for a minute conversation and then ask you out. Uh -huh. Even if I'm off the market, that guy gets points. 
<laughs> because it takes guts. Women aren't used to being approached. Men aren't used to doing the approaching anymore. And that's the hunter women are seeking. And so those guys automatically are top of the pile because they're willing to risk failure, which is the ultimate risk, right? In order to seek what they're hunting. And to be on the receiving end of that, there's a level of honor there. It's not something that's lost on me. There's there's honor in that. Yeah. I I I love that. You you're you're allowing men to, men to hunt and, and giving them credits for doing so. So if a if a dude wants to find and attract and I'm not gonna say gain, but but grow himself mm-hmm. through his spouse mm-hmm. and he sees somebody like you who is who is beautiful who knows who she is who's got the light and probably you make the money too um if a, if a guy is looking for you mm-hmm. what are you looking for i am looking for almost the exact same thing right and i had to stop and realize this when i was in that series of relationships where it was just the repeat of the pattern i had been on um I just stop and think, what was it? What am I attracted to? It's, it's men that are pursuing, like men are, are conquerors and castle builders. Like they need to be building a kingdom. And I know when a man is in that zone versus a man who's like clocking in, clocking out on life. Mm-hmm. It's so unattractive. Um, if they are pursuing things, I'm the type of woman that I'm okay with my man being gone. If I know that he's be, he's gone for a weekend because he is in love with conquering this mountain or, um, going on a hunting trip because that's something that fuels his own passions and his own need to grow in this world and be challenged. And so I definitely see this. I think the same exchange has to happen between men and women that we're seeing them pursue greatness in and of themselves, um, whatever it looks like for them. And that is very attractive. Of course, then just being well-spoken and and offering connection. Like that's, that's women's biggest need is connection. And so if a man can hold a conversation and, and, and move me to new ideas and kind of spark, I have like this intelligent nerd brain that loves to kind of be lit up and challenged. And, um, I get excited when my man is pursuing something, even if it takes him away from me for a little bit, right. I know that he's doing so to create something and it's, it's beautiful to watch him be so passionate about what he's creating. And that's because you know who you are and you're looking for a man who knows who he is. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who he is, you're not interested. Yeah. And there's, I hold space for the fact that do we ever fully know or do we, oh. we know in seasons. I, I know that the person I am right now, it's truly my best. I, I'm in my best self I've ever lived at age 39. This uh-huh. is definitely like, but I haven't arrived. We never arrive. Like it's a constant pursuit. I know that I need a man who's strong enough to constantly evolve with me and who will love me and give me this protective container to to grow and try new things and I might have a career change someday I might have an interest or a pursuit pull me into a different place in life and I need a man who's strong enough to move with me in that and I so many relationships will start failing and people say well you changed like that's the point. <laughs> I want to change. I don't want to be my 18-year-old self when I'm in my 40s. Like I want to know fully and explore and constantly be pushing the boundaries of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. What and again, me being vulnerable this time not quite as much, but when I'm in coast mode, zero time. Mm-hmm. Man, zero time for men is our favorite place to be. Yes. And when I'm there, 
routinely, I've got demons who have memorized every stupid thing that I've done, and there's thousands of mm-hmm. them. So they'll enter my brain and say, you remember when you did this that was stupid? And then, yeah, I do. And then it's like, you're stupid. And then, the, and then there'll be another one, and then, you know, hundreds, thousands yes. of them. And that's been very difficult for me to deal mm-hmm. with. Um, finally, my best defense is to say, yeah, I, I've grown past that too. I don't want to go back to be my 20-something yeah. self. Yeah. There's so many stupid things. Yes, exactly. And they're lessons. They're good lessons if you let them be. Or we can repeat them and not learn from them. <laughs> that's where the blame doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, that's how I That's how I defend is I'm like, yeah. yeah, I don't think I would do that again. So I've grown. So thank you very much, Demon, yes. for reminding me that I've grown. I actually have learned to really respect and create a space for the man cave. Mm-hmm. I think men need that and as women we have to get better at allowing that and not just allowing it but that's that's a mutual space where we can also get to develop our passions and the things that light us up and if you find yourself resenting your man for going to the man cave uh-huh. there's two things that are going on either doing it too much because you're a doormat uh-huh. <laughs> and you're not offering anything interesting to him anymore so that's a great sign for you to let him go to the man cave and you go start doing things that fuel your inner passion oh you could whine about him being in the man cave or you could go find your woman exactly. cave and let him hunt yes you. exactly oh, and, I... and watch him respond when he sees you light up and that's what you know it's actually so funny um in our early relationship with my boyfriend John, he um a couple times would go into the man cave and I would I would resent it pretty quickly. And then I would discover what he was doing in his man cave with his man cave time was creating things for me. Like oh, awesome. wood shop projects and gardening projects, things that were f- fueling my passions. Sounds like maybe he had some <laughs> gifts as, as yes. his language love yes. language. Yes. And I was just um it was acts of service as his mm-hmm. love language. And oh. What a beautiful thing for me. And for me to get out of my own. So you're talking about the demons and the voices, right? And Mm -hmm. women have such similar voices. They're different, um, but they're, they're in our head. And so many of them cause us to resent the men in our lives and build up contempt for them when they're not giving us the attention that we, that we desire, but also we're not necessarily cultivating that attention the right way. And being quiet with that, learn to stay curious and recognize that men actually recharge like men need to recharge through that alone time. And that alone time actually creates, people say the distance, or what is it? The heart grows fonder. Oh. You're apart, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> distance right. makes the heart grow. I could not come up with that for a second. Um, there's reality to that. And it goes both ways. But if we're together 24-7 all the time, there's a monotony that kicks in. And we have to cultivate that moment of pursuit and give that space for pursuit. He can't pursue me when he's right next to me all the time. <laughs> True that. Uh, that that does make you a doormat when you keep insisting on that. Yeah. You know who you are now. I am expecting that when you <clears throat> were being routinely beat, you probably weren't quite as certain of who you were. No. Mm-mm. And you go to, I think you said your family told you marriage is eternal. Last thing I want to do is be the guy who promotes divorces. Absolutely. But when when you go to your family and you say, I'm thinking of a divorce, 
again, I'm speaking from my own experiences. This is Garth talking and asking you the question. Yeah. How much do they know about your relationship? They didn't, and they actually preferred not to, was the dangerous part. Yet they were more than happy to have a, an opinion which they expected you to follow. Yeah. And had they done it better, right, they could have created a safer space for me to say, we don't understand. Um, but this guy's got to prove himself with action. And so here's the safety we're going to give you and the accountability we'll give you while he proves his action. Um, and instead it was just, nope, door closed. This has to be, you got to commit to this and find a way to change yourself, which to someone who is a doormat Mm -hmm. changing myself, I'm a chameleon. I'll be anything you want to not get hurt. Right. And so that was easy for me to acquiesce to. And I, I began to develop over the years since that part, realized I was far more faithful to marriage than I was to him as my husband. That makes sense. There there was no relationship on any level that was, and, and we tried, I did, like, we did try, we went to counseling, we went to therapy, we tried cultivating things and they're just, we never should have been paired together. And it was our own wounds that kept us together and really toxic habits, um, that brought us and kept us locked in and my own self-denial and just my doormatness was what got me. <laughs> oh, another good word. <laughs> doormatness. I will make them up too. Don't worry. <laughs> um, it was becoming more myself that actually gave me the strength. And, you know, I, my, my career path changed and I began to get more personal development training. Mm-hmm. And one thing about truth is that it requires action. Mm-hmm. Like the minute it's spoken over you, you have to be accountable to it. One thing about truth is that it requires action. I'm going to say that's an eternal principle. Absolutely. And probably applies in many facets of our Every lives. Every facet of our lives. Yeah. Yes. So let's say that Garth and Kateri know that the divorce is the right solution. Family jumps in and says, no, that's not what we think you should do. The Garth and Kateri, that, that now all of a sudden a, a genie shows up and says, okay, you now know who you are. You're comfortable with who you are. You're going to make your choices and not hand them off to the random third-party person that you met in the supermarket. How do you respond? I knew like from that early point on mm-hmm. at year three, when I was told you got to go back because it's the right thing to do in marriage eternal. I knew that the day I was ever going to leave again, if it, if it came to that, I needed to be so certain that the whole world could be down around me. And I would still keep walking out that door because I would know that if I was rejected by everyone who loved me, but I still knew it with such certainty that I would take my kids and do it with necessary. Right. Mm-hmm. So nothing would stop me. And I knew I had to get, I knew I had to get strong enough to where I had that level of self-awareness and that level of self-protection to make those decisions on my own. Because the problem with me as, as a victim, was I needed validation to move through life. Mm-hmm. And without validation, I don't have permission to go to the next step. Whereas if I'm healthy and in my healthy self, I don't need someone to tell me that being abused is not healthy. I know it inherently and I will take the action necessary to stop that from happening and move beyond it. If it, if there's no one else stopping it, I'll stop it myself. Right. And 
so I began to recognize, and even in my process of getting out, I still sought validation from from other mentors and spiritual directors and and friends. As I would seek that validation, but I began to need it less and less. And the more I pulled away and went into myself, mm-hmm. and began to do that repair work um, and create my good old healing vitamin D, which is distance. <laughs> um, yeah, I think distance is a is a strong relationship healer, no matter what, because with the right partner. You create some distance and acknowledge that, that you're creating distance. They will rise. They will rise. I interviewed one of my good friends, Eddie Via, yesterday. Oh yeah, I love Eddie. He is fabulous. He mm-hmm. runs so deep. He uh, he's able. He's got a great mind. The one that is able to put so many things together. Oh, yeah. I was interviewing him <clears throat> yesterday, and I was telling him. Here's here's me telling a po- in a podcast telling about a podcast about another podcast. So the uh, world is. <laughs> I was telling him that I had interviewed another guy. This is the one from Scotland, mm-hmm. whose name, if you spell it, it's P A D R A I C, okay, like Padraic. Mm-hmm. And he told me in the interview that that it's pronounced in Scotland Paulric. Oh, which was uh, a moment for Eddie. Because Polrick is what his mom called him. Oh, really? That was him understanding that his mom was there with him while he was doing the interview yesterday. Wow. Almost beautiful. <clears throat> so Polrick uh, grew up in, uh, like I say, in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was called, because of something he said at a random moment, He, he his nickname became AIDS. Which... That wasn't a kind thing to be called. Of course not, yeah. Um, And so because of that, he grew up thinking, I have to please everybody all the time, be the life of the party, Mm -hmm. be everything to everybody, blah, blah, blah. And so his goal and focus in life was to have everybody love him on that superficial level. And because of that, he was so busy in the bars trying to make random people love him that he failed in his marriage. Yeah. Failed the one person that he really needed to love mm-hmm. him and the one person that mattered the most. And kids, too, of course. The um, reason I'm telling all of this very long story is he was interested in the approval of the wrong people. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that's 500 words to get back to what you said in two or three, which is, you know, there, there are people whose approval you need, mm-hmm. but if you need to make the decision, it's yours to make. Absolutely. So what was the moment when you were like, okay, I know what everybody else's advice is, but this is what I need to do. I don't, there's a series of moments, I think, leading up to it. And mostly it was watching my children grow. I had, I had several sons at that point, um, and a a little baby girl and watching them begin to be turned into abusers Mm -hmm. and having them be the audience that, that my ex needed in that room to validate himself. And I just, of course, that's the opposite of a, of a man I want to raise. And I feel very responsible for raising men. Mm-hmm. The world is lacking them. I'm going to, if I have them, I'm going to raise them, right? And, and bring them forth. And this is, this level of weakness um, and disparagement and destruction of dignity of a woman is never a man's role. I see a lot of me in you. Yeah. 
because I felt like I was okay being the victim, mm-hmm. but I was not going to allow my kids to become my ex-wife. Exactly. And as long as I was the victim, that was okay. You know, things were limited there. But then I saw, you know, no, it's it's not limited there. It never is. My my kids are going to become all of the things that I didn't want them to be. Mm-hmm. That terrified me enough to be done. Well, and that was a that was the last lie I had to break through. We have these lies that hold us in our invisible cages, mm-hmm. and the last lie was that um, divorce because it's so you know inherently against God's will um, will destroy your children. Mm-hmm. There's no hope for them if you get divorced. So what I found myself living, that was this lie that the marriage I was in was destroying them. And it had to stop and think there's a world that I know I could create and protect for them out here, or there's a world that I have is pure chaos and destruction in here that I have no way to protect them from. Which one am I going to choose? And the only answer was the one that I can create for them and be in more control over when this when this person that we've given every opportunity to rise and hasn't risen, that mm. was my answer that no, this is when we have to move forward um and then it was a series of the more I would pull back and begin to make my way outward in life and start healing my pro- my healing process, the more destructive he got and ended up turning to drugs in severe ways and went on a very dangerous path himself that really ended up. Yeah. I can see from a man's point of view uh, for a while there, he felt like he still had a slice of his man card because Mm -hmm. he could beat you up. Yeah. Then when he saw that you were moving forward and he still wasn't, now that slice is gone too. Yeah. So he's just going to become further self-destructive. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, as far as the marriage thing goes, I did have it run through my head. Um, before the divorce and a lot more after that uh, certain promises and covenants are made when you get married. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's not just about fidelity. Uh, it's about lifting, supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when those, those promises are intentionally broken repeatedly, yeah. ending the marriage formally, legally mm-hmm. doesn't, isn't, isn't, uh, the one single action that ends the marriage, it yeah. was done. It was ended a long time ago. And I, I love to think about, so we have this whole death do us part mentality, right? And that, that really is the ultimate goal. That's what we all seek in love. We want a permanent lifelong partner. Uh-huh. Um, but what it's really asking of us is little deaths every day. Little deaths every little day. Little deaths every day. And, and in an act of love, right? Like um, me being patient with the man cave and what comes out of it, a gift for me, right? Like, that's two mutual acts of love that are happening there. Um, learning to let go of our, ourselves just enough to let the other person be more free to be themselves. And suddenly we see things start shifting. And so it's that sacrificial love. Um, my disordered version of, of that was that, well, I'll just keep dying to myself in a very literal way through abuse. And, you know, God will reward me for it someday. But I was seeing it destroy my my children. And there's no way I could live in that. So seeking to shift that. Um, it did take a lot of courage and it did take a lot of, I, I had to let go of people along the way. There was a, for a series of a couple of years, my family really didn't support me and they learned through action as I began to make safety for myself, they realized how destructive my marriage really was. And they began to actually fear for me in the process of getting safe. Um, but it took them time and I had to take the action on my own. I think that's the thing I had to realize there isn't, no one's coming to save me. 
like no one is coming to save me. And that's really, I think what we all have to recognize at the end of each day, when we find ourselves in destructive patterns, we have this, the knee jerk reaction is just to end the relationship. Like that wasn't my knee jerk reaction either. It was to try to seek self-preservation and start healing myself. That's the only place to start. I think every relationship needs to start there. And then you give that vitamin D, that, mm-hmm. that distance, that space to allow each other to rise and make known your needs. A healthy relationship is going to move through their stuff. Like conflict or struggle or unmet needs is a normal part of humanity and normal part of relationships. And there's growth that can happen there. In a healthy relationship, you grow stronger and closer when conflict arises if you protect it the right way. Mm-hmm. And unhealthy, it only exacerbates itself and becomes its own you know a snake eating its own tail and once i began to see myself there it was easy to pull myself away and realize no there's god is not here and this is not a marriage in the way that god intended for me as a as a woman in the beginning of this interview you said uh, you you used the word that you were a full participant um mm. in the relationship and that you reclaimed your life can you tell me more about those two things yeah it's it was part of that truth thing because I, I mentioned truth requires action. When I'm blaming and externalizing and trying to acquiesce, none of those things are actually letting truth to the light of day. It's just covering up. I mean, even to the point where I live in South Texas, and I'm wearing a turtleneck in the middle of July. Oh, because you got to cover the bruises. Cover bruises, right? Um, and I wasn't being accountable to myself. And so reclaiming that meant I needed to remind myself that I was the most sacred ground. And it really became a father-daughter relationship with God that I had to heal first. And that was, for me, the greatest shift. Because I didn't have a great relationship with my dad, which is where a lot of my patterns, right? We always carry those patterns and duplicate them in our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I was missing that protection. I was missing that that validation and support and was never made to feel my worth at a young age. And so, of course, that leaves me just scrapping for it and hustling for it as an adult rather than holding my space, let people be drawn to me. And so shifting that dichotomy and becoming more feminine in my relationship with God. And I stopped being the fixer of my own life, started relying on him more. And it's like, I put it out there like, God, this is what I need. Show up for me. And he would show up in the most magnificent ways. Um, through the protection of, I had, a, I had a tribe of women that I relied on throughout my marriage. Mm-hmm. It was a tribe of men who helped me get me out. Your 30 girlfriends. Yes. Their husbands, <laughs> <laughs> their husband, without me, without me asking for it, but with like truly God just putting it on their hearts, they showed up and did the work to keep me accountable and keep me safe and move me forward. Cause my girlfriends, they're, it's, they're wonderful. <laughs> our, our female plans are not always as articulate and wise as the, what comes from the men in our lives. And so they helped create and kind of foster a path of protection. They also, they also just, they loved my kids. They reminded me, and this is where I think like, um, I give so much credit to men, just the men of the world that were surrounding us in our community at the time. They rose for me and restored my faith in masculinity and it provided, they filled the gaps in our life. Because the minute you pull out of a marriage and you have children, especially, there's huge gaps. Yes. And I'm raising sons. And 
sons can't live in a gap of no men for very long. It turns out badly. Yes. And I recognized that immediately and knew that. And these men came out of the woodwork and reach on to support my, my my boys and challenge my boys and hold them accountable and foster their passions and give them an outlet, the things that I can't do for them. And I continue to cultivate that and seek that as a single mom perpetually. That's what I've always um, learned to lean into is the community of men out there in the world, through our church, through sports programs or mentorship programs. There's value there. Yeah, I, I heard a couple of things. One is is your thirty girlfriends are great and very helpful to you, but they have husbands that were also very willing to yes. help, and you were willing to ask and allow and that. allow. Allow is the thing, and yeah. that's the pro- that's the, that's one of the differences between you and guys. Is even though all those thirty girlfriends' husbands are willing, guys won't allow. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those same thirty guys are there, but guys won't allow. Yeah, and. They're, they're available, they're there, they're willing, but guys won't allow. Uh, the other thing I heard you say, and I think this is kind of profound, and it's one of the reasons why you're more healthy than a lot of the guys on the planet, is you realize that you are not your savior. Yeah. Christ is. Mm-hmm. And us guys will go to a place like, I've got this problem, there's nobody that can help me. Yes, there is. Always. There's the guy across the street, and then there's the guy upstairs. Mm-hmm. But we won't allow. And when we do allow, then things get better. Absolutely. What of the – these words are important because I'm going to ask you back. Okay. Of the things we've talked about today, that's, that's the important words. Okay. <laughs> that was a broad scope. Let's try this. <laughs> <laughs> what was your darkest moment? Boy. Um, I think it was, there was a moment near the end where I have to, I have to say, like I did cultivate a life where I basically lived separate from him in every way. So it mitigated the abuse on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't near him, I wasn't going to be abused. It was all safe. So I began to live a life completely separate, alternate schedules. Our kids had one parent, the other, never us both. But there was one night um, that he physically pushed me to touch a limit. My life was in so much danger. I realized I was going to have to hurt him to save myself. And that honestly scared me in so many ways. First of all, it's completely against my nature. Um, The other part was in doing so, in in escalating a fight to that degree, I also could die in the process because I'm just not strong enough. And it was just this awareness of my children being left behind and this being their legacy of no parents now, right? And I I got bold enough to open up to someone who keep me accountable enough, and it was my brother-in-law. And um, I remember it was his shock when he heard that I had to take it to that level and I had to live in a place where I had to make a judgment call of how far am I willing to go. And in that situation, luckily I was able to just, I was able to throw him off of me enough to grab the keys and get out and just drive to the beach. I just sat there in my car and just realized like, what am I, I have to return because my babies are there, but what am I returning to? And what is this life that I am allowing 
to continue. Like, this is all in my terms because I'm going to return to that cage and close the door on it again. Uh huh. At some point, I have to recognize that door is always open and I have to take action to move through it. The cycle will never go away. I want to paint that picture of you sitting there on the beach. Mm-hmm. Waves are crashing in. It's mm-hmm. dark. In my mind, the waves are angry. God was angry. <laughs> and it's it's alone. It's That empty. was a thing. It's lonely. It was completely lonely. And it was a devastating loneliness because I realized that was when it fully hit me. No one's coming to save you. And here I was. I was basically waiting to die. Like that was, it was either die or be rescued. And I had to, in my mind up until that point, and part of it was because what my parents had ingrained in me, unfortunately, in that early days, they had, my dad had told me that it's not really abuse unless you're being hospitalized. (laughs) Yes, that's the same reaction everyone has, as you should, right? So my mind, I'm thinking... The only way to get out and get this recognized is if I'm laying in a hospital bed. But also, that could mean death. Like, I might not actually make it through that. So what is, my children deserve more, right? And that was the thing for me as a, it's it's amazing how much we'll take ourselves, but it's these beautiful little beings God entrusted to us that pull us out of ourselves and make us stand up and, and do more for ourselves than we do on our own. And so it was just, it was that awareness that, None of my thoughts were for myself, unfortunately. That was unhealed me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It was they don't deserve to be motherless um, or fatherless through these actions. And let's take the risk of creating a healthier life. I think you just answered my question. Um, But this is is my big question for the end of these podcasts. You know, I, I... I've asked you what your lowest moment was, and I've painted that picture in my mind. There you are sitting on the beach, uh, butt on a towel or just on the sand, Mm -hmm. knees up, looking at an empty ocean. Your life is empty. The surrounding is empty. It's dark. It's cold. It's bleary. It's lonely. It's depressing and sad. Mm -hmm. Why was that a blessing to you? Low points are always a blessing if you get out of your own way and allow them. Um, had I not gotten to that point, I had the capacity to keep enabling this the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like I have it in me. Um, what I have seen as the fruit of it in the past seven years has been just this, not just a return to myself, but an, like I never had been was what I recognized. I never had actually been married 18, um, living 15 years in that. I never had actually been. I had never lived. I had never served the world in the way that lit me up and made me a light. So, and in, in doing that also, what I did for my children was something very profound. Um, I gave them permission through my actions to be so self-aware and protective that if they find themselves in relationships that are unhealthy, that they know to move forward and to seek distance and cultivate a renewed sense of self to reclaim that sense of peace they have. Um, I was definitely patterning. My, my parents had a very unhealthy healthy relationship. And so I was patterning this acceptance of turbulence and destruction as a pattern and I changed that for my kids. 
your dad was projecting onto you the rules he was trying to get your mom to accept. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the most brilliant thing someone who's ever said without meeting my parents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he figured he could abuse his wife as much as possible. He might have abused. He, uh-huh. I didn't abuse, but um, there was a lot. There was a lot of destruction there. There was avoidance, abuse through avoidance, right? And. Uh-huh. So, so as long as the abuse didn't include hospitalization, mm-hmm. he could he could still do it, get away yeah. with it. So he was justifying himself at the moment to mm-hmm. you. That's healthy. Of course, yeah. <laughs> You've talked about how that was a great moment for you. It turned out great. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the interviews that I do, uh, Mark, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. Mark Carr, we're going to name him. Okay. And he actually didn't want to come on. And I don't blame him. He's been married once. And so any story he's got about whatever. (laughs) But he did say, uh, I asked him that question. And he said, you know, I wouldn't. And Eddie said the same thing. He said, I would not go back and tell uh, the younger version of me anything. He needs to feel the pain. Yeah. Uh, because I need to land where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting to me. I'd go back and tell my 22-year-old self, have a spine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pain's a powerful motivator, though. Uh-huh. And it, it it deepens the lesson. Um, And obviously, I had been experiencing pain for a long time. It just had to get to the point where it hit me in the right way that drew me beyond myself and realized and and it's amazing how oftentimes it's the pain of somebody else that will will make you take action finally um you know when it, when it comes kids. down to yeah to me and you feeling pain that's not great but it's going to be something we're going to accept when you see that it's going to affect the kids mm-hmm. that's what it makes the difference and something i was told in that process going through healing um kind of shocked me, but it, it's what made me a danger to myself and recognize like how much work I need to do because I said this, it's not the weak ones that are in this, these types of relationships because the weak ones wouldn't stay. It's the strong ones. And this goes for both men and women. We'll, we'll put up with things that are so hurtful and destructive for a long time because we have the capacity to hold on and pursue that last little flicker of hope as long as we possibly can. Um, And our unhealthy self will continue that process. Um, And I had to recognize and give some credit there. Like God did give me this strength. I do have tremendous strength and capacity for relationships, but imagine how much more powerful I will be as a human being. If I'm, if all the strength that I have is being protected and cultivated. Yeah. As being used not to protect yourself, but to make the most of yourself and serve exactly. others and, and give be more out to the world, right? So now I'm now I get to be beacon of light. It's outward expression rather than this self-preserving, right? Curled up ball <laughs> <laughs> on with, a beach somewhere <laughs> with bruises, yes, and nerve damage, yes. Let's let's end it there. I'm uh, I'm excited to have you back. Thank you for listening to this Manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, 
Here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalyzing.com.